Welcome to All Vampires Are Gay, a serialized narrative podcast created by Corbin Rosewood. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all major podcasting platforms. If you like the show, please consider supporting our work. All Vampires Are Gay is made possible because of listeners like you. You can help out by becoming a patron, shopping our merch, and of course, telling your friends about the show. You can find all the ways to support us and more at our website, CorbinRosewood.com. Now on with the show. Previously on All Vampires Are Gay. We ended season one with a battle at Pendragon, where it was revealed that Victor's human boyfriend, Robert, was secretly a vampire who had been working for Liren as bait to keep Victor busy. But Robert fell in love with Victor and switched sides, becoming a spy working for Samson. Unfortunately, no one told Victor about this, and he didn't take it too well. Liren discovered Robert's betrayal and followed him to Pendragon, with his witches and magically controlled vampires. They ransacked Jin's house and captured her apprentice Apricot and Apricot's werewolf stockbroker fiance, Nick. Victor and his friends were able to fight them off and rescue everyone. In the battle, Victor wounded Liren by cutting him with his mysterious necklace. Under threat from Liren, they decided they needed a powerful weapon to fight him. They found mention of one in some old books, the Dagger of Anshi, an ancient enchanted dagger that can supposedly cut through magic. They discovered that the dagger was hidden in a tomb in Highgate Cemetery in London. Now, Victor, Robert, Samson, and Jin are headed to London, hoping to find the dagger before Liren and stop his rampage on their home in Blackwood City. Season 2, Episode 1, Beltane House. Welcome, I'm Corwin Rosewood, and tonight we return to the magical and dangerous world of All Vampires Are Gay. This season promises to be an exciting ride, full of twists, turns, mystery, buried secrets, and of course, Lots of fabulously gay vampires. And now we turn to London, where Victor and his friends are currently planning a heist of Highgate Cemetery and trying to stay out of Liren's sights. Scene. A restaurant in East London. This is Natalie Cunningham, Samson said, holding up the tablet so everyone could see. Victor and I have known her for a very long time. We work together often and are on friendly terms, so she isn't likely to be trying to kill us. But if the price was right, I don't doubt that she would. Victor glanced at the image briefly and then returned to his food. He picked up a samosa and broke it apart, dipping it in chutney. The four of them were sitting in his favorite hole-in-the-wall curry spot in Camden. 
They had come here directly from the airport, and for the last 20 minutes, Samson had been pulling up photos of the most powerful supernaturals in London, explaining who they were and how likely it was that they would try to kill them. Victor had figured this was mostly for Robert and Jin's benefit, since he already knew everyone in London, so he'd spent most of the time eating curry and sorting through his emotions. As usual, he had a lot of them. He just couldn't get his mind off of what had happened. The betrayal was still fresh and raw. After his initial rush of excitement to join Robert on the plane, he had realized that forgiveness didn't come as quickly as an airport run and a passionate kiss. Robert had fallen asleep on his shoulder during the plane ride, happy to be reunited. But Victor had stayed awake, stewing in his feelings. After a while, Victor began to think back on his whole relationship with Robert, pulling apart every interaction and looking at it from a new angle, wondering just how much of Robert's personality was actually him, and how much was just a facade created by Liren to entice him. He didn't know what parts of Robert were real and who he even really fell in love with, and he didn't know how to ask. The emotions just sat inside him, weighing him down like a stone as he moved through London. Are you okay? Robert asked him quietly. Uh, sorry, what? Victor said, coming out of his haze. I was just asking if you're okay, Robert said, lowering his voice and gently brushing his fingers against Victor's hand. Their eyes met and Victor felt his questioning gaze and the depth of their connection. He looked away quickly and pulled his jacket closer, nodding his head. Yeah, I'm just tired, Victor replied. It was a long flight. Okay, Robert said. He sounded small and nervous. He didn't press on and Victor was grateful for it. A waiter approached the table with drinks and fresh roti. Jin grabbed a basket, took some and offered it to Samson who said, not now, Jin. We are getting to the last slide. The most important person in all of London. The Queen Bee, or if you will, Queen Butterfly. Mrs. Whitaker! Samson, Jin, and Victor all said in unison. Victor looked down at the blurry surveillance photo of Mrs. Whitaker. All you could really see was a gray bun and a black dress, but that was enough. He shivered instinctively. He did not want to get on her bad side. Robert squinted at the photo. I really can't tell what she looks like from this. Do you have any other photos? Samson shook their head. No, but you won't need it. If she's coming after you, you'll know. Robert looked worried. Who is she? She does a lot of things and has connections to everyone, but she is most well known for owning Resurrection the biggest supernatural nightclub in London, Samson replied. She's a nightclub owner? Doesn't sound that scary, Robert said. She's more like a mix of a nightclub owner and a mafia boss and the most powerful witch you've ever met, Victor explained. I said supernatural nightclub, Samson added. Frequented by vampires, witches, werewolves, werecats, selkies, banshees, and everyone else. These are groups who are, shall we say, not known for getting along. You've got to ask yourself, 
If they are all in the same nightclub, dancing and drinking together, instead of tearing each other apart, how is that possible? Robert's eyes went wide. They're all more scared of Mrs. Whitaker than each other? He asked. Exactly, Samson nodded. They finally took the roti basket from Jin, grabbed one, and scooped up a pile of curry and rice with it. They took a bite while everyone was quiet for a moment, thinking about Mrs. Whitaker and what she might be capable of. Okay, so I'm sufficiently terrified of her, Robert said. But what is the likelihood of her wanting to kill us? Samson frowned. This is where things get awkward, they said. As you know, thanks to our research, we currently believe the Dagger of Anchi to be in Highgate Cemetery. Our plan is to enter the cemetery on the night of the full moon, which is two days from now. Find old Mary's grave and do the magic spell to open her tomb and acquire the dagger. Yeah, I remember all that, the poem and everything, Robert said. When the midnight moon rises above the rowan tree, a true heart may find old Mary to lead you to the dagger of Anchi. Jin recited. Robert nodded, taking a sip of his drink. Exactly, but what does that have to do with Mrs. Whitaker? Samson sighed. Have you ever heard of a ritual site? No, probably not. I'll explain it. Basically, it's a place of very old magic. There's something in the soil, the air, ley lines, who knows, but there's magic there. Kind of extra magic. Witches usually go to these places to do rituals, store magical artifacts. Sometimes they have duels there, all kinds of things. Is Highgate one of these places? Robert asked with a frown. You got it, Samson said. Not only that, but Mrs. Whitaker and her coven consider it to be on their territory, under their protection. Damn, Robert said. What are we going to do? Be very, very careful to not get caught, Samson replied. If everything goes as planned, she won't even know we are in London. What if everything doesn't go as planned? Robert asked. Let's get the check and head back to our secret lair, Samson said, ignoring Robert's question. Our secret lair? Victor asked, raising his eyebrow. Yes, our mysterious magical house, where we develop all our master plans, Samson said dramatically. Victor rolled his eyes. You mean Beltane House? Samson frowned. Yes, obviously. Why are you calling it a secret lair? Victor asked. Samson sighed. It's not every day we get a new person added to our group. Robert has never seen Beltane House. Let me savor the moment. Victor laughed. All right, Samson, you go ahead and savor, and I'll just go to sleep. I'm exhausted. Scene, East London. They left behind the bustling restaurant and set off, walking down the London streets as night descended on the city. The four of them made their way through the small alleyways and lanes, 
twisting and turning past small parks and residences on side streets with names like Paddington and Tottingham. Samson led the way to the secret lair, as they'd called it. Their face was full of worry, and they frequently checked to make sure they weren't being followed. Samson was wearing one of their more relaxed outfits, just a flowing neutral tunic top over leather leggings and an oversized puffy coat. Even their shoes were a relatively comfortable pair of heeled leather boots, demure by Samson's standards. But with their dark sunglasses and designer luggage, they still looked decidedly chic, even with their messy bun and anxious face. Next came Robert, his eyes wide with awe. He had never been to Europe, and he was undeniably excited, his face alert and exuberant, even after the long flight. His big brown eyes drank in the London streets, taking in everything. If he was scared, he didn't show it. He just looked happy to be there. Robert was still wearing the clothes he borrowed from Samson after Liren took all his possessions and cleaned out his apartment. Robert didn't look happy about wearing a weird long-line tank top and asymmetrical jacket, but he did look handsome, with his soft wavy hair bouncing in the cold London breeze. Jin followed closely behind, her eyes sad and tired. She wore a cozy argyle sweater vest, a long dark woolen skirt, and tightly laced brown leather boots. Her long black hair was tied in a loose braid, her big round glasses ever present on her nose. She wore a brown trench coat to cover her wings, as she always did whenever she left her home at Pendragon. She also had an overabundance of luggage. She was dragging two large suitcases and a dark leather medical bag. Victor presumed it was full of magical tools and books. Mostly books, probably. Victor was in the back of the group, trailing a little way behind and smoking lazily. He could easily have led the way. He knew the way to Peltane House by heart, but as usual, he let Samson handle it. Victor was still in the same clothes from their battle a few days ago, stained with blood, dirt, and burned with fire. His jet black hair was messier than usual, and he wore opaque black sunglasses, even though it was almost dark. He looked down at his ruined jacket and sighed. The jacket somehow felt just like he did. Battered, burned, but still holding it together somehow. They turned the corner to their street, and Victor held his breath. Beltane House wasn't really a secret lair. In fact, it wasn't a secret at all. Many people knew their group owned Beltane House, including Lyrin. If anyone knew they were here and wanted to attack them, this would be the perfect time before they were safely inside the heavily warded Beltane House. Samson knew it too, and Victor saw them tense and pull a small dagger out from their designer coat as the group walked up the street. But they quickly saw it was quiet and calm. The only sounds a chirping bird 
and Jin's luggage rolling loudly across the uneven sidewalk. After carefully checking the area, Samson nodded their head and put the dagger away. Victor let out his breath, taking another drag off his cigarette with a slightly shaking hand. He let his shoulders relax and took in the sight, at last, of Beltane House. The buildings on the street were all set back from the road, making way for big drooping trees which cast dreamy shadows in the early evening light. Beltane House was number 17, the third house on the right. Victor walked a little faster as it came into view, feeling at last some excitement to ease him out of his emotional turmoil. He darted ahead of everyone up to the black iron gate with its sharp pointed fence covered in vines with small blue flowers. Beltane House was a wonderful place, an island of safety and comfort. The building was a townhouse style, three stories tall, with whitewashed bricks and big picture windows. It was a simple but stunningly beautiful building, with intricate molding carved with strange flowers and monsters. There were vines growing up the sides, a large garden with drooping trees and twisting flower bushes. At the center of it all was a wide stone staircase leading up to rounded double doors with a big golden sun inlaid in the middle. On either side of the stairs were statues of lions with proud faces and flowers in their manes. And Victor's favorite detail, above the door, inlaid in gold, was the words, safe harbor in a stormy sea. It was perfect and true a safe harbor in the stormy sea of life was exactly what Beltane House had always been for Victor. He smiled a little as he lifted the iron handle on the gate and pushed it open with the creak of rusty metal. He began to walk down the cobbled path through the overgrown garden to the entrance, and immediately he felt the magic. The air turned thick and syrupy, humming with the feeling of the dozens of powerful wards on the building. Beltane House was powerfully protected. That's part of why it always felt so safe. He remembered when they had first acquired the property, and Ingrid had worked with a large coven of witches to help them make it truly a sanctuary, free from worry about supernatural dangers. The wards were dense and thickly layered, even though Victor was not a witch, he could still sense them, and he felt the weight of so much magic in the air. To open the doors and unlock the wards was no easy task. Usually, they hired a local witch to unlock the wards on Beltane House when they arrived, binding a set of temporary house keys to the ward so they could enter quickly while they were staying at the house. Today, the job of unlocking the house fell to Jin the only witch in their group. Jin had been in Beltane House before, but she'd never opened the wards. Usually Samson called ahead and had a witch they knew meet them there. But today, they didn't want to take that security risk. They didn't know how far Liren's network reached or who they could trust. Right now, they could only trust each other, so Samson had asked Jin to open the wards. 
Samson had given her the guidebook to the Beltane House locks on the plane, and she'd spent most of the flight over studying it. But even with that help, when Victor looked at her, he could tell she was scared. Jin gulped and set down her luggage by the gate, pulling the small leather-bound guidebook out of her trench coat and carrying it with her medical bag up the stairs to the entrance. She took in the large golden sun, the inscription above the door, and the thoughtful lions. But her eyes didn't seem to see the beautiful house. She just looked afraid as she laid down her bag and began to pull things out of it. First, she took out a large bronze bowl and laid it carefully on the stones in front of the door. Her hands were shaking, and she set the bowl down with a clatter. She cringed at the sound, but didn't say anything. She just kept going. Next, she pulled out a bundle of herbs, a few crystals, and a spinning metal apparatus Victor didn't recognize. She set them next to the bowl and picked up the book again. She looked at it, then looked back at her bag, pushing her glasses up her nose as she read over the words, repeating them to herself quietly. She looked up at the door, running her hands over the invisible lines of the wards in front of it and frowning. She poured a clear liquid into the bowl and lit a candle. She watched the candle burn for a moment while saying words from the book. Then she looked up at the house, but it was dark and quiet. She sighed and blew out the candle, accidentally dropping it in the bowl of liquid where it made a sizzling sound. Damn it, Jin said. I'll never get this. What's happening? Robert whispered in Victor's ear, causing him to jump at the sudden noise in the hushed garden. What's wrong with Jin? Nerves, Victor replied. She's always like this when she has to cast a spell. But I saw her cast a bunch at Pendragon. She seemed fine with it, Robert said. Yeah, that was weird. I think it had to do with the apricot, Victor replied. At the mention of her name, Jin dropped the book she was holding and plopped down on the stairs, putting her head in her hands. Do you need me to call another witch? I think Natalie might be around, Samson said. Shut up, Samson, Victor said out of the corner of his mouth. Jin's got this. I'm sure of it. Jin looked up, her eyes full of sadness and worry. Don't be upset at Samson. They're just trying to be careful. It's true. If I don't get this open very soon, we're in a lot of danger. Jin sighed and looked up at the glittering entryway with its large golden sun. She picked up the book and began skimming it again and whispering to herself. Victor looked at her thoughtfully. He had been so caught up in his own troubles, he hadn't thought much about what Jin had been going through. In fact, he had noticed her checking her phone a lot since they landed, and she had casually mentioned that she hadn't heard from Apricot since the battle at Pendragon. Suddenly, he realized that Jin was probably really upset about that. He pulled out his phone and found Apricot's number. He shot off a quick text, which said, Please text Jin back. She needs your help. Then he walked up to the stairs and sat down next to Jin, putting his arm around her shoulders. I'm fine, Victor. Don't worry about me, Jin said, but she didn't move his arm away. I'm not worried, just supportive, unlike some people, he said, glaring at Samson. 
Samson rolled their eyes, but didn't say anything. A little while later, there was a chiming sound cutting through the hum of the city. Jin looked up with wide eyes. She pulled her phone out and looked at it, its soft glow lighting up her face in the dark evening light. She smiled to herself. That special kind of private smile you only get when you read a message from someone you really like. She tilted her head to the side and quickly began typing a message back. Victor moved away and stood up, walking over to Robert and Samson to let Jin have her privacy. It's all about apricot, he said quietly to Samson. Noted, Samson said. Jin was looking at her phone, smiling fiendishly and texting back and forth furiously. She looked up with a bit more confidence than she had before. She stood up and began the ritual again, and suddenly it all made sense. She placed candles on either side of the door with the crystals around them. She lit the candles and whispered a few words over them as she did. She looked down at the book and nodded happily pushing her glasses up on her nose. The sky was dark now, and the light from the candles lit up the house magically, its warm glow making everything even more beautiful. Jin poured liquid into the bowl, then she lit the bundle of herbs again, watching it smoke while she read more words from the book. Finally, she waved the bundle of smoking herbs around the outline of the door. Victor didn't usually feel spells, but there was a subtle shift in the wind that stirred his coat, reminding him of rainy days and warm mugs of tea. The candles on either side of the door roared with bright blue flames, and the crystals lit up with a yellowish glow. Jin smiled and stood back from the door, speaking the spells louder as little ripples of magical light shimmered down the walls of the house. Tiny sparks of light came from all sides of the building, running down the walls like falling water into the doorframe. Soon the outline of the door was glowing with a bright light, and Jin reached down for the bowl. She put her fingertip in the liquid and then placed her hand on the middle of the door. The large golden sun was suddenly flooded with light, glowing bright and gold in the darkness. Victor felt a wave of positive emotions roll over him. He wanted to laugh and dance and sing all at once. The keys! Samson, the keys! Hurry! Jin shouted. She was grinning wildly, with her palms still pressed against the golden glowing sun. Samson yelped and began rummaging through their luggage. They found the keys in their carry-on bag and rushed up the walkway to hand the three keychains to Jin. She grabbed them, and held them up to the door, one at a time, charging the keys with the door's magic. Each keychain had a small golden sun to match the house, and as she placed it on the door, a little sun on the keychain glowed for a moment before going out. After all three keys had been charged, she pulled her hand away, and the golden sun began to dim. The candle flames simmered back down, and the crystals only glowed a little bit. Jin smiled with relief and began putting the magical tools back into her bag. Victor smiled and looked at Robert, who was completely dumbstruck. It was so beautiful, he whispered. 
It really was, Victor agreed. Do you feel happy? Like, comforted and safe? Robert asked. Victor nodded. Yeah, that's Beltane House for you. Samson was standing at the door now, punching in the code on the regular alarm for additional security. Jin handed them one of the keys and then brought a small golden sun keychain over to Victor. Sorry we don't have one for you, Robert. We'll have a key for you next time, she said. Oh, it's no problem, of course, Robert replied. Thanks, Victor, Jin added. I didn't do anything, he said, giving her a little hug. This was all you, Jin. Scene. Beltane House. While everyone brought their luggage inside and began turning on lights and getting the house set up, Victor wandered upstairs alone. Maybe it was the long flight or everything with Robert, but he was feeling emotional and nostalgic and just needed a moment alone. He trailed his fingertips along the old tapestries on the wall as he climbed the staircase to the bedrooms. Everyone in their group had a room at Beltane House, and once you had one, it was there forever, even if you weren't. Each of the rooms had gold letters on the door, the initials of the person the room belonged to. He took a deep breath as he walked down the long carpeted hallway with its rooms full of memories. The first door he passed was Samson's room with a single golden S on the door. The door was partway open and Samson's luggage was laid out on the bed. Victor peeked inside for a moment and saw exactly what he expected. Clothing racks full of fashionable coats, stacks of electronics and recording devices. Smooth, minimal surfaces piled high with laptops and steel briefcases. A small cluttered makeup desk by the window and shoes, so many shoes. The next room was Jin's room with the letters J and G on the door for Jin Greenwillow. The door was closed, but he remembered it was full to bursting with books and a cozy reading nook to drink tea and look at the rain. Persephone's room had only a P on it just like Samson, she didn't care for last names. She hadn't been there in a long time. She preferred the Mystic Moon, with its magical walls and her friends and customers. She'd really made a home for herself in Blackwood City, in a way she never had anywhere else. Victor opened the door slightly and peeked inside. There was a few fluffy white antique dresses hanging up and lacy vintage curtains. Scattered across the furniture was a few magical artifacts and objects, candles and crystals. He closed the door gently and moved on. The next door had the initials A and J on it, August Johansson. He took a deep breath when he thought about her. It had been so long since August had been here. She'd never really liked Beltane House much. It was more her sister Ingrid's place. He opened the door, and the room was exactly as he remembered. A small, firm bed with a bland gray blanket, assorted weapons and combat training equipment, and nothing else. 
He walked out again and continued trailing his fingers along the wall, drowning in memories and nostalgia for his friends and their adventures together. The next door, he didn't open. They never opened Ingrid's room. There was an I and a J on the door, and below that was the symbol for the Borealis Society, a flowering plant inside a braided circle. The Borealis Society was Ingrid's idea, a group dedicated to helping humans and supernaturals to live in harmony. The Borealis Society never came to be, though. It was only a dream, and Ingrid was just getting started on making it a reality when she died. Victor breathed in a deep, shuddering breath as he ran his fingers across her door and over the Borealis Society symbol. Inside, he knew there were files, books, magical tools, astronomical instruments, alchemical supplies, and more. They'd had to go into her room a few times over the years to fetch things, but mostly they'd left it exactly as it was, with the door always closed. His breath caught in his throat as he remembered her and this room. He turned away quickly, heading towards the other side of the hall, where his own room was located. As he approached the room with the V and N on the door, he heard voices from the room next door. He eased the door open and saw Robert, Samson, and Jin. Robert's luggage was in the room full of boxes and dusty antiques. They're making a room for me, Robert said, bursting with excitement. We're working on it anyway, Samson said. I don't even know where to get those gold letters anymore, and we have to get a bed brought in here. I'll order one online later tonight. I think we have some extra bedding in the hallway cabinet, Jin said. Do you think I could have some fairy lights and sheer curtains to give it some ambiance? Robert asked, looking out the white-framed window at the garden below. Sure, you don't need to ask before you put things in here. It's your room, Samson said. Victor took a shaky breath, looking at them all, happy and excited. He wanted to say that this was all moving too fast, that they barely knew Robert, that he couldn't be trusted after what he did. He wanted to say that this was their space, their private sanctuary, that entry had to be earned. But the words all died on his tongue. He knew this was right. This was where Robert belonged, even if he wasn't ready for it. So he forced a smile and gave an awkward thumbs up before ducking away into his own room. He slipped inside and closed the door quickly. He locked it and leaned his back against the door, breathing heavily as he felt the emotions wash over him. He went over to the window and opened it quickly and found his cigarettes. He sat down on his burgundy velvet window chair and rummaged around till he found a lighter. He lit the cigarette and breathed in the cold night air as he tried to calm himself. He looked around his room. It was messy and jumbled. There was a large bed with a deep red coverlet and sheer white canopy. Various dressers and armoires full of black clothes and little trinkets. The surfaces had little boxes of jewelry and coins, empty bottles, candles, overflowing ashtrays, dried flowers, ticket stubs, and nightclub wristbands. A few posters had been put on the walls over the years and then papered over with other posters. 
He'd pinned photos of himself with old friends and lovers to the sides of the mirror and draped it with long pearl necklaces. There were boxes of records on the floor and a very old record player in the corner. The room was dusty, disorganized, and chaotic, but it felt like home, or at least a safe harbor in stormy seas. Scene, Beltane House. A few hours later, Victor had changed into fresh clothes, smoked many cigarettes, and drank from a bottle of whiskey he'd found under the bed. He finally opened the door of his room and peeked his head out. The hallway was dark and quiet. He glanced at the storage room that now belonged to Robert, but no one was in there. He walked into the hallway, planning to go downstairs to the kitchen, but he stopped when he heard the muffled sound of sobbing. He looked up in surprise and then focused on his hearing, using his supernatural senses to listen for where it was coming from. It was the door with the golden J and G on it. He walked up to Jin's room and knocked softly on the door. Oh, um, now, now's not a good time, she called, trying to conceal her crying. Let me in, doll. It's just me, Victor said. Jin opened the door a crack and looked at him. Oh, I'm sorry, Victor. I'm not feeling so well at the moment, she said stiffly. That's what friends are for, right? Victor said. Few tears never bothered me. Jin sighed and opened the door a little wider, letting Victor come inside. She was in her pajamas with a cozy sweater over them, her hair in a messy bun and her eyes red and puffy. After letting Victor in, she went back to her spot by the window, curled up in her reading nook with pillows and a big mug of tea. Victor sat down in one of the large armchairs nearby. What's going on? He asked. Is this about what Samson said earlier? You know how Samson is. They were right, though, Jin said, bursting into tears. I'm useless. I'll never be good at being a witch. I definitely don't recall Samson saying anything like that, love, Victor said gently. No, but they might as well have. I'm a terrible witch, and I can't keep us safe. I can't keep anyone safe. Not even... Jin trailed off. Apricot? Victor asked. Jin looked up with tears in her eyes. (laughs) Did you see what they did to her? No wonder she didn't want to talk to me. I would hate me too. She doesn't hate you, Victor said. She should, Jin said, pounding her fists into a pillow. I failed her. I failed you. I failed everyone. When? What are you talking about? At Pendragon, Jin said. The battle with Lyran. You can't be serious, Victor said, confused. You're amazing. You saved everyone. If my wards had been better, we wouldn't have needed saving. And Apricot wouldn't have gotten hurt. My books wouldn't have been burned and... Books aren't everything, Victor said. Jin gave him a look of betrayal, and he knew he'd said the wrong thing. I'm sorry, that's not what I meant, he said quickly. I meant that if your wards had been stronger, then he would have found another way. 
I know firsthand how relentless Liren is. He wouldn't have stopped coming for us. Maybe, Jin said, but maybe I could have stopped him. There's no point worrying about what might have been, Victor said. We're vampires, remember? That means we must always live in the present. Our past is too long and messy to worry about. It only weighs us down. We pick ourselves up and move on. We buy new books. We make new friends. We clean up and keep going. There are some wonderful bookstores in London, Jin admitted, blowing her nose into a tissue. That's what I'm saying, Victor said with a wry smile. But Victor, I just don't know, Jin said. I could barely even open the door to Beltane House. How can I protect us from more powerful enemies? If we succeed in getting the Dagger of Anshi, we might make a whole host of new enemies, and I'm not a strong enough witch to protect us. You might have struggled with the locks, but you did get it open in the end, Victor reminded her. You're a lot more powerful than you know, Jin. And you're not alone. We all work together, remember? It's not your job to protect all of us. Damn, you're getting as bad as Samson. Jin snorted with laughter. <laughs> no one will ever beat Samson when it comes to blaming themselves for everything, she said. True, Victor said with a laugh. He thought for a moment, then said, So why do you care about Apricot's opinion so much? It's because you fancy her. Jin went red in the face. <laughs> what makes you think that? You mentioned it at Pendragon when you told me she had a fiancé. The werewolf stockbroker, remember? Although it was obvious to everyone well before that, he added. Jin took a sip of her tea thoughtfully. I figured you would have forgotten about that after the whole Robert thing. It wasn't top of mind, Victor admitted, but I didn't forget. Well, anyway, that's not why I care so much about her opinion, Jin said, looking wistfully out the window into the moonlit night. My feelings for her are unrelated. Victor highly doubted that, but he figured it was best not to say anything and let Jin continue. I guess it's because she's from a witch family, she said with a sigh. Why does that matter? Victor asked. Jin folded her legs up under herself and held the mug of tea with both hands. Well, you know about my family. Super powerful old vampire bloodline with lots of dated ideas about being a vampire and what that meant. When I was with them, being a vampire was like everything I didn't want to be. It was all about being predatory and taking from others because we could, using, controlling, manipulating. But witches were like everything I wanted to be. They were all about creating and helping and sharing. That has not been my experience with witches, Victor said flatly. Jin laughed. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a naive perspective. I know that now, that there are kind-hearted vampires and predatory witches, vice versa, and everything else. But I still feel that desire, you know, like deep down. Like I want to be good enough for the real witches. I want to be in the cool kids club or something. She sighed and hung her head. It's terribly silly, but I guess I just want to be a real witch. It doesn't sound silly, Victor said. 
But maybe you just need to adjust your idea of what a witch is, because you are certainly a real witch in my book. Jin smiled. Thanks, Victor. You're really sweet. Please don't tell anyone, he said with a grin. You'll ruin my reputation. Victor left Jin's room a little while later. She was still somewhat melancholy, but she seemed to be doing better after their talk. He gently closed the door behind him and walked back over to his own room, but there was already someone there leaning against the doorframe. Robert. Hi, Robert said awkwardly. Hey, Victor said, trying to smile. How do you like Beltane House? It's beautiful. Robert said sincerely, but I still haven't seen the one place I really want to be. He tapped on Victor's door. My room? Victor asked. Robert nodded. If you'll let me in. Of course, Victor replied. He moved Robert aside and opened the door to his room. Come on in, he said. Robert walked in slowly, the candlelight reflecting off his worn skin and bright eyes as he walked around the room, taking everything in. Victor hadn't thought it would be a big deal. Lots of people had come in his room, but the way Robert looked at the world was different. He was curious, inquisitive, and smart. He would see things others wouldn't, and Victor wasn't sure how he felt about that. He felt exposed, and it made him nervous. But Robert didn't look displeased or judgmental as he went over the space taking in the old armchairs with capes slung over the side, crates of vinyl records and piles of black sunglasses and empty cigarette boxes. He smiled. A big smile came over his face and his shoulders relaxed. He looked comfortable. So you do have a home after all, he said, smiling so hard his face showed dimples. I guess, Victor said with a shrug, gesturing to Robert to sit wherever he liked. But I live in Blackwood City now. Why don't you live here? Robert asked, sitting down on the bed and taking off his shoes. Victor offered him a cigarette and he accepted. It's never felt the same since Ingrid. There's a lot of memories in Beltane House, Victor said. It's only sort of my home, I guess. Hmm. I can relate to that, Robert said lighting his cigarette and taking the ashtray Victor offered him. I've never had a real home, somewhere I could put down roots forever. Neither have I, Victor admitted. Do you want one? Robert asked. I don't know, Victor said honestly. What about you? Hmm, it seems nice, Robert said wistfully. Must be strange to have an identity like that to know where you are from and who you are completely. I don't know if that's a thing I'll ever have. Mm, Sometimes it's better to just live in the moment, Victor said, standing up and coming to sit next to Robert on the bed. Would you like to stay here tonight? I don't know if I'm... I don't know if I'm ready for romance yet, but you can sleep here since you don't have a bed and everything. Robert held his breath a moment, and then true relief and joy came over his face. I 
I would love that, he said, barely a whisper. I mean, if it's all right with you. I'd like that, Victor said, putting his hand over Robert's and giving it a squeeze. He heard the familiar sound of rain tapping against the windowpane, and Victor found himself finally starting to relax, too. And so we come to the end of the first episode of a new season of new stories, new romances, and new dangers. We'll have lots of magic, mystery, and mayhem, as usual. But hopefully somewhere in there, Victor can find some safe harbor in his own stormy seas. You've been listening to All Vampires Are Gay. This episode was created, written, and performed by Corwin Rosewood. Produced and composed by Parker Frost. With additional production, mixing, editing, and engineering by the team at Studio Corwin. If you enjoyed this episode, consider supporting our show today so we can make more episodes in the future. You can find all the ways to support us at CorwinRosewood.com. Thank you for listening.